the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, July 12, 2022. I am Seth Leibson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. I should like to start the show today with a little audio that took place in the U.S. Senate today. The questioner is Senator Josh Hawley, junior senator from Missouri, and he's talking with a law professor from University of California at Berkeley. What do they call that? Bolt Law School, I believe. And the issue is women and abortion rights. Maestro, can you give me this interchange between Josh Hawley and the good professor? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Uh, before, uh, I, I want to visit with you, Ms. Meske, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's, uh, it's We can it's recognize that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning. Because so we can't talk about it. Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying dangerous. that trans people exist by asking are you? you if you're talking are you? about women are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you are denying that trans people like this thing. And that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're told that to they're question. opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time questioning. in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow. I, I would learn a lot. I've learned you, a lot. I know. This exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Okay. Thank you, uh, Bill. Now, just so we can dismiss the knee-jerk condemnation of Senator Josh Hawley as a Yahoo, as is often done by the left in the media. Let's just stipulate and point out, this is a Stanford undergraduate and a Yale Law School grad, Josh Hawley. Not exactly a lightweight, as Walter Sobchak might say. Not someone who can easily be big-footed intellectually by a law professor at Berkeley. Just worthy of a note, I thought. Now, this was in a hearing, as I said, about abortion, and herein lies a real problem for the left and maybe for all of us. For decades, we were told abortion was a women's issue. In fact, we were even told men should not have a say on it. I always thought that absurd since it was seven men who created and wrote 
Roe versus Wade. In fact, the Supreme Court that gave us Roe versus Wade and wrote it into the Constitution, so to speak, had nine men on it. The Supreme Court that took abortion out of the Constitution, they put it in, realizing their error this year, had three women on it. In other words, when the court was all men, abortion was a constitutional right. When the court became one-third female, it was no longer. Probably not exactly the talking point the radical feminist movement likes, but there it is. In any event, there is no question but that until yesterday, abortion was not just a women's issue. It was the women's issue. Until yesterday, because yesterday we learned that men can give birth and thus that abortion is not just about women. If that sounds confusing, it is. It's confusing because it's impossible, biologically anyway. It's like talking about a squared circle, but not politically impossible. And in this country, whether we are dealing with drug legalization or COVID or anything else that touches public health, the political science is way ahead of the actual science and often contradicts it. So the women's movement has a problem. Abortion is no longer a women's issue or not just a women's issue. And that is what Josh Hawley was trying to understand. So when the professor says it's a women's issue, but then that it's not just a women's issue, I don't care where she teaches, a logical question must be asked. If it's more than a women's issue, and there are really only two sexes someone can be, but if you want, there are more than two and say that, okay, it doesn't matter at this point. But if that's the case, why say it's a women's issue? In other words, how is it a women's issue and why say it if it's everyone else's issue as well? I mean, why categorize and cabin something you immediately do not wish to be exclusively categorized and cabined? In fact, why curtail anything you immediately in the next sentence choose to cosmologize for other political points? Bette Midler, to her credit of sorts, was on to this last week. Hoisted on her own petard because her movement of pushing the envelope of language and politics beyond recognition brought us to this cliff, she now she sees she doesn't exactly want to jump off the cliff she helped drive us towards. Here's what she tweeted last week. Quote, in all caps, by the way, women of the world, exclamation point. We are being stripped of our rights over our bodies, our lives, and even our name. They don't call us women anymore. They call us birthing people or menstruators and even people with vaginas. Don't let them erase you. Every human on earth owes you. Close quote. You see, what Bent Midler understood is at a certain point, you take this political science too far and you will erase women. You will erase feminism and everything important and unique about women and thus the woman's movement. This is why the women's and minority movement could be so proud of Katanji Brown Jackson at first, only to not know exactly what to say when she was a praised as being the first black woman on the Supreme Court and then b said she could not define what a woman was kind of takes away the celebration and the uniqueness, doesn't it? All of this is, of course, a denial of reason and language, which is why it strikes as so maddening. 
The only word I right now want to understand is the word soon, S-O-O-N. Why? In 1926, G.K. Chesterton wrote this, quote, We shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two makes four, in which furious party cries will be raised against anybody who says that cows have horns, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure, and hang a man for maddening mobs with news that the grass is green, close quote. And now note, it's not that we deny these inversions of language. It's that we now mandate and force confession to them, lest one be accused, as Holly, Josh Hawley was, of causing death. That is, after all, what the Berkeley professor accused Senator Hawley of by simply trying to understand a dictionary that seems to have been invented, as I say, yesterday. For her, the professor words can equal violence, even today's words causing yesterday's violence. Of course, violence is peaceful protest, but let's not get hung up on that just yet. By the way, those numbers on suicide and, tra and transgenderism proffered so indignantly by the professor are nowhere to be taken as canonically as the good professor put them. Only two weeks ago, we had Professor Jay Green on, who did a comprehensive study of these suicide statistics in the transgender community and found them about as accurate as saying 25% of college women are raped on our college campuses every year. A statistic that should not get close to a common sense test of even articulating such a thing. How did Bill Buckley once put it when someone was speaking rot? He said, I respect you too much to accept that even you believe what you just said. It's an uncomfortable subject, but we can talk about suicide rates of those who are disturbed otherwise, depressed otherwise, or put through massive age-inappropriate gender transformations. And it doesn't start with the inability to change your sex. It starts with a series of disturbances or problems long in front of being confused about your sex and long in front of using hormones and knives to change your sex or not being able to. But the forced confession is what is being deployed here. Just yesterday, I had cause to quote Vaclav Havel on the forced confessions and the tyranny that imprisoned him in Europe in the 1970s for not aping the line the communist society required him to ape. He put it this way, quote, the post-totalitarian system touches people at every step, but it does so with its ideological gloves on. That is why in the system it is, no, it is so thoroughly permeated with hypocrisy and lies that government by bureaucracy is called popular government. The working, <coughs> excuse me, the working class is enslaved in the name of the working class. The complete degradation of the individual is presented as his ultimate liberation. Depriving people of information is called making it available. The use of power to manipulate is called the public control of power. And the arbitrary abuse of power is called observing the legal code. The repression of culture is called cultural development. The expansion of imperial influence is presented as support for the oppressed. 
The lack of free expression becomes the highest form of freedom. Farcical elections become the highest form of democracy. Banning independent thought becomes the most scientific of worldviews. Military occupation becomes fraternal assistance. Because the regime is captive to its own lies, he continues, it must falsify everything. It falsifies the past. It falsifies the present. And it falsifies the future. It falsifies statistics. It pretends not to possess an omnipotent and unprincipled police apparatus. It pretends to respect human rights. It pretends to persecute no one. It pretends to fear nothing. It pretends to pretend nothing. Individuals need not believe all these mystifications, he concludes, but they must behave as though they did. Close quote. And that is why it is so important to understand the noxiousness with which this professor, who kept interrupting the line of questioning, would call the questions that Josh Hawley asked transphobic. The use of the silencing and the shutting up shibboleth, the use of the clang word and the alarm that tells the other person they must be ashamed to even speak. Thus, they must shut down and be shut down, censored, if you will. A friend of mine put it this way to me when he heard this debate, this exchange, this dialogue. He said, the danger here." is that the lack of an authentic conversation about all this BS drives people away from participating in representative democracy, which leaves violence as a perceived legitimate tool for change. Close quote. Quite right. When language and reason and reasonable debate and dialogue perish and one side is ardent, if not fanatical, what is left? What there can be done. Well, I'll just say this. Ignorant or not, I'll apply the Kantian categorical imperative and tell you I'm a lot more fearful of living in a country governed by this Berkeley professor of law than I am the junior senator from Missouri. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is the website for their fruits and veggies, which one daily dose gives you a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. Boost your energy, health, and immunity with the pure, potent plant power of Balance of Nature. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. I take it every day. You can, too. Just make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Uh, Hugh Hallman is going to join us in our third hour, and we're going to get into a lot of what I was discussing yesterday in my monologue and something John Hinderocker and The New York Times are on to today. John was our guest yesterday on different points, uh, but he, um, he had a piece at the Powerline blog today on school closures crushing our children, which is uh, based on something the New York Times wrote. He, uh, he, write our he writes, our government's response to the Chinese flu epidemic was pretty much a negative image of what should have been done. Instead of protecting the vulnerable, our governments irrationally shut down businesses, churches, and worst of all, schools. 
The result was an educational and social disaster, the magnitude of which we have barely begun to understand. Now, let me pause this point for a moment or pause reading to you from John in the New York Times for just a moment and planning to get onto this with uh, Hugh Hallman later in the show. The reason I think it's important that we put a lot of focus on this right now is because the left is beginning to put a lot of focus on this right now. If you doubt that point, go back and listen to my monologue from yesterday or just pick up the Arizona Republic or visit it online from yesterday. The Arizona Republic had an article on the new variant of COVID that was uh, screaming with all forms of alarms and excursions. And interestingly enough, as I was driving around listening to a few other reports on this new variant, I heard echoes of what I read in the Arizona Republic on national radio broadcasts. And I thought, are they all reading the Arizona Republic? No, they are not. They are reading the Washington Post. They are reading the New York Times. They are reading all kinds of newspapers across the country who all evidently got the memo, got the memo that it's time to gin up fear and panic once again, because it seems to be a go-to and a great motivator for the left and the Democratic Party base. And we can talk about why, and we will with you, but I'm happy to take your calls on this and discuss it with you as well. It's interesting. I'll come back to this John Hinderocker New York Times story in a few moments. But it is interesting to me that the Democrats are so obvious, so open and notorious, if I may use that phrase, about what their default positions and go-tos are. There's only about four of them. There really are only about four. In any given environment where their numbers are sagging or their public policy, their policies aren't working, we do a few things. We denounce law enforcement and the police or we blame white extremism and try and tar every Republican as a white ex- white extremist, including black Republicans. And we tar every Republican as well on the first point with being supporter a supporter of law enforcement, which is also, by the way, white and extremist. So it's police, it's white extremism, and then, of course, it's antagonism or antipathy towards settled science, as they tell us. Those are their defaults and go-tos. In any number of other public policies that may come up, their only answer to our solutions or our positions is that we are extremists. This is how the Democrats work. This is how they effort political practice and public policy now, especially in an election season because they need to gin up their base and there's no better way to gin up their base than to put their base and theoretically the rest of the country in apprehensive fear of what Republicans or conservatives or common sense oriented people stand for. We'll get back to all of this in a few moments. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski with our culture and economy update. John is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. Grand Canyon Planning 
Facebook.com is his website. He also has his own radio show right here on KKNT 960 AM every Saturday morning at 7 AM. The Word on Wealth. John, how are you today? Fantastic, Seth. Thank you. You betcha. I am glad you flagged this story because this gets us into something I and I think many in our audience would love to understand better. Headline out of CNBC, Euro reaches parity which means mm. equality or equal levels, against the dollar. Yes. It's its lowest level against U.S. currency since December 2002. This gets into the whole discussion of what it means to have a strong dollar. Anyway, John, walk us through all that's going on here, if you don't mind. Well, it's the same in this country, too, right? We think our dollar is getting weaker as the cost of uh, goods and services is going up. So we're buying less for the same dollar. Um, and the challenge, of course, is the same in Europe. Uh, they're seeing increasing expenses. The, one of the big concerns over there is not only the cost of fuel, uh, oil, and gasoline, but there, of course, they have uh, a lot of their gas, uh, natural gas supply comes from Russia. And uh, Russia recently shut down one of their pipelines, they said, for um, routine maintenance. But the fear is is that they're going to be limiting the amount of natural gas that they're going to be receiving over there. So their economy is feeling the pinch because of the inflationary pressures just like ours. Only we are a little bit further ahead, I believe, uh, with, with our Fed, who has made some decisions to raise rates and to try to stave off some of the inflationary pressures we're feeling. Whereas Europe uh, really was a little bit behind the curve on that from what we're, what we're reading about here. Now, John, when someone talks about a strong dollar and someone talks about a weak dollar mm -hmm. or a strong and a weak dollar, what does that mean? What does it mean when the dollar is strong? What does it mean when the dollar is weak? It means, uh, it means what you said it meant, but in lay terms, as against other currencies. Yeah, okay, as, as against other currencies. Right. So as the example today, because of uh, our our dollar, they're saying, is in parity with, with uh, the euro, yeah. which in, it hasn't happened for 20 years. Right. Um, our dollar, if you're traveling overseas, you're going to be able to use the U.S. dollar and purchase more goods or more services uh, for the same uh, dollar that you were able to purchase, uh, you know, then from last year. And it's just going to be the opposite. We talked a little bit about this uh, this situation with the strong dollar, mm -hmm. whereas U.S. producers are not going to uh, be able to maybe sell as much overseas because their dollar is buying less mm -hmm. now. So that relationship between the two is, is really important. And this is just one of many indexes across the world. Right. You know, I'm just using the euro as an example. Sure. But many other currencies across the world are feeling the same inflationary pressures that we are. The, their dollars are worth less than uh, what they were in the past. And, uh, again, a strong dollar for the U.S. is good in a way for us as consumers when we're buying um, from other countries. But it could hurt producers here in this country as other currencies are weaker against the U.S. dollar because it's costing them more to buy the same goods and services. And the best way to handle or address or redress that is to whip inflation as close to now as yeah. possible, right? Yeah, got to got to get inflation under is. control. Yeah. This is this is the key, and you know uh, the the challenge here is, that, or the concern here is, is, of course, is if we don't get this inflationary uh, condition under control, is that's where we're seeing the potential. And there was the other article I flagged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 70, I wanted to transition to that. Go 70 ahead. Seventy percent of Americans think that a recession is is imminent. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it's very possible that we will see that recession. What is the definition of a recession again for you know the U.S. Uh, you know economy to uh, contract? Uh, over a uh, you know a con- continuous period of time, maybe uh, two quarters or so. Negative economic growth for yes. two or three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, we're not there yet, but we're going to start to see the CPI numbers going to be coming out this week. So it's going to be interesting to see that. But we are seeing companies that have been uh, reporting. Some companies have still reported very strong earnings, at least for quarter of uh, this two- second quarter of 2022. Uh, and we're going to have to see what their forecasting is. Some of them have been pulling back on their forecasting, and a lot of uh, companies out there are starting to cut their estimates for uh, a lot of these companies out there. So we're starting to see uh, some some pullback in some of these areas. So we're going to have to wait and see over the next one, few weeks. One of the next. interesting things is these articles are now beginning to talk about what Americans are who are worried about the coming recession are doing about it. And yeah. I wonder maybe tomorrow we can talk about good sure. strategies and poorer strategies. You bet. Okay. You bet so. Thanks, Joe. Uh-huh. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finman Shipkin and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. We'll see you later, Seth. Thanks, John. I will see you later. I'm looking forward to it. I am Seth, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're looking for a unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y Refi. Investors do well at Y Refi by doing good for others. You can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. They're offering a fixed, no load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a collateralized and secure port. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. As I say, it's run by really good people. They're here locally based. You can go visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just tell you about what they're doing and let it speak for itself. For itself. If you're interested, check them out. Investyrefi.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. That's 855-316-3087. You think about some of the you know, they, they, I was going to say some of the tough things we talk about here, they shouldn't be considered tough. It's, I think, fairly commonsensical what we're doing here. Uh, but it's become tough because the onslaught, because the leftist effort to be censorious and censure us, censorious and censurious, is, um, is big. It's tough. And uh, so when a company is uh, endowing parts of what you hear on this show, I give them a little even extra credit and should perhaps uh, suggest to you that you might as well. I was talking um, about John Hinderocker's post on what the New York Times uh, reported today and why it's important. It's because they're doing it again. If we start having to address COVID again, It's because we are having to address what the other side is saying. I would have loved nothing more than to have this in the rear view mirror and the distant rear view mirror at that. But as it turns out, thanks to the left, objects in the rear view mirror appear closer, excuse me, are closer than they appear. All right. So school closures crushed our children. A lot of outlets are coming to that belief right now. The Kaiser Family Foundation, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the U.S. Department of Education, 
even the U.S. Surgeon General and now the New York Times. It's important that we recognize it because these are the outlets that seem to be paid, uh, seem to receive the sanction, the countenance of the left. The difficulty here is that all of this was so avoidable, all of this was so preventable, all of this was spoken about, predicted, and warned about by a lot of us as early as April of 2020 when other people were celebrating closures and shutdowns and masks, even people claiming to be conservatives running for governor right now saying such things. Many of us were not buying it then, and we were proven right. So John Hinderocker writes, our government's response to the Chinese flu epidemic was pretty much a negative image of what should have been done. Instead of protecting the vulnerable, our governments irrationally shut down businesses, churches, and worst of all, schools. The result was an educational and social disaster, the magnitude of which we have barely begun to understand. You know it's bad when the New York Times notices, quote, 362 school counselors on the pandemic effect on children say anxiety is filling our kids, close quote. Anxiety is filling our kids. Before I go through this further with you, keep in mind what that means to say anxiety is filling our kids. And if you can work with me a little bit in reaching back just a little bit before March and February of 2020, think about the state of our children then. Think about the state of our culture then. It's not as if everything was sunshine and roses. It was a pretty big struggle then. So we took the embers of a fire and we poured gasoline on it. We're talking, of course, in the New York Times, not about exactly the effects of the pandemic on our children. We're talking about the effect of the political response to the pandemic. The New York Times reports American school children's learning loss in the pandemic isn't just in reading and math. It's also in social and emotional skills, those needed to make and keep friends, participate in group projects, and cope with frustration and other emotions. Let me pause there for a moment and talk to you about the new ethos in American education, which is sometimes referred to, you may have seen the initials of SEL. Do you know what that stands for? A lot of you do. Social and emotional learning. I do not understand how the ethos of the left projecting promising, promoting, and promulgating social and emotional learning, they can do so with a straight face while they did everything in the power that they have, amassing as much power as they could to effectuate policies that destroyed the social, emotional, and learning of our children. It's quite an amazing thing. Go back to the opening of 1984. Freedom equals slavery. In any event, the New York Times continues in a survey of 362 school counselors nationwide by the New York Times in April. The counselors, licensed educators who teach these skills, described many students as frozen socially and emotionally at the age they were when the pandemic started. Anyone who's familiar with the horrible effects and the tragedies of addiction know exactly what that means. 
their growth, their emotional, their social, their mental health froze, stopped, ceased to grow, ceased to flourish, ceased to perfect itself at the moment of this injection of toxins into our body politic, just as it does for the addict who starts down the pathway of addiction. You know what I'm talking about, those in the recovery community. And by the way, God bless you all, and good luck with what you're going through. It's the hardest work there is. Stay at it. The New York Times, sorry for that aside. The New York Times continues. Something, I'm quoting, something that we continuously come back to is that our ninth graders were sixth graders the last time they had a normative, uninterrupted school year said Jennifer Fine, a high school counselor in Chicago. Quote, developmentally, our students have skipped over crucial years of social and emotional development, close quote. Nearly all the counselors, 94%, said their students were showing more signs of anxiety and depression than before the pandemic. 88% said students were having more trouble regulating their emotions, and almost three-quarters said they were having more difficulty solving conflicts with friends. Shame on the monsters that did this to them. Shame on the monsters that criticized us for warning that this was the ghoul in the closet they were letting out. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, Before we go to our guests in the next hour and more of your calls, let's see if we can work one in real quickly before we go to the national uh, news uh, break. Veronica is in Scottsdale. Hello, Veronica. Hi, Seth. How are you? Um, I have a question for you. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Great. I have a question. Um, I was very interested in hearing your thoughts on the candidates and your recommendations and why, and, and I really appreciated that. Sure. But I'm wondering, I am working, newly working into the grassroots um, GOP uh-huh. um, in LD4, and um, they seem to think of a different way of looking, that it needs to be a non-establishment person, an America first person versus a conservative, that you can be as conservative as you want, but if you're going to fight the grassroots America first, and you're going to be always covering for the establishment. Um, is that who we want? And a lot of the candidates that you recommended, um, I'm not sure. Are they strictly, they're true conservatives, which sounds great, but are they American first people too? So that was my big Okay, question. fair enough. And we may have a terminology thing you can help me with, Veronica, because I'm not sure if I'm fully picking up on the distinction you're making, but let me try it this way, and then you just clarify for me or correct or whatever you would like to do. But first of all, I, I you know, America first to me uh, was always an ethic that I thought most conservatives embraced. If you didn't think America was exceptional and that you should be pointing every public policy orientation towards how does it help America or Americans First, I don't have any use for you, and I'm not interested in you. That's that's just a default I've been on. But it sounds to me like you might be working on a different distinction. Go ahead, if if you, if that doesn't make sense to you, or if that doesn't scan. Yeah. 
that was my exact um, thought of what America First means and uh-huh. that it would be a conservative principle. Yeah. However, as we saw um, in our own state, people that are conservative and the party, you know, the McCain party and the um, not party, but faction yeah. and um, Ducey, they seem to be working against a lot of the they're, they're more for holding the establishment together. Well, let me try this, Veronica. Let me try this and ask you to call back if you'd like in the next hour, because this was, I admit, a very short segment on what sounds like a very important issue for you and a lot of others as well. But let me just point point this out. Uh, and, and let's pick up the discussion when, when you do call back, and you're also welcome to hold. Um, I don't think the phrase America first should be trademarked. I think that in many respects, it's a debatable proposition, what's best for America. But if you're not thinking what's best for America first, that's what I don't have use for. We can pick up on the other points you have on this if you'd like to call back. I have a couple guests coming up real quick. Happy to take that entertain and entertain that. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 